You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Under the Shield presents Fight in Progress. A.K.A. Fight in Progress. I don't know if the old ones can be searched under the new name. but uh, I'm Well, with the probably. internet, I'm sure you can do anything. Probably. If they want to find <laughs> us bad enough, they'll find us one way or the other. That's for sure. Just like bill collectors. <laughs> well, again, we're back. This morning for another podcast, don't or, even know or what today, number. I don't know when you're listening. Don't know what number it is either. Um, no, we're in the 40s. That's all I can. Could be close right. to 50 now. This yeah, might th- actually be 50. I don't I know. I think we're 49. I close think Mark enough. was 48. Okay, close week. enough. Um, so I'm Tom the Bomb. Dot com. <laughs> and we're <laughs> here always with Susan Simmons, the, our founder of Under the Shield. Crazy lady... <laughs> From the South. <laughs> Who talks funny. To do this for 30 years. Yes. Yes. But thank we, God for her. Because well, she is a, a, a huge help to a lot of law enforcement, fire, and military. Yeah. So. It's, it's my calling. And we were just in a class last week with where we had the crazy Lieutenant Rich uh, Mack, who was on the podcast, now retired from the NYPD. Uh, who was here for this training, and it was a group of supervisors over at Haida. Um, That was an interesting afternoon with Rich, and he actually managed to do something the rest of you people have never managed to do, I don't think. Yes, probably something I won't see for a long time. I don't know that you'll ever see it again. (laughs) Susan was speechless. Yeah, so Rich, being from, you know, New York PD, he was there for 9-11 and all part of that. Um, He's lost you know, a lot of brothers and a couple sisters from not, you know, like personal sisters, but blue. Yeah. In in the line of duty, you know? Um, and so he's real passionate about all the after effects from nine 11. Mm-hmm. And Susan was fortunate enough to go up there to help NYPD and fire uh, and spent five weeks, five weeks with up them. there with them aftermath. And so during the training, Rich, Pulled out a little statue that had a piece of uh, metal from 9-11. And, from the towers. Yeah, from the towers. And I, th- when he was first doing it, I thought it was going to be a gag gift. And then... Yeah, he says he has a presentation. I'm thinking, oh, God, this is going to go bad in a hurry. <laughs> but Susan did not know what to say. She was, was she was actually speechless. Yeah, it, it it almost brought tears in front of those sergeants and lieutenants, which I, that definitely isn't going to ever happen again, but... Yeah, that was that was quite an honor. So it's been a it's been a full week. Put Rich on a plane yesterday morning, and he's headed back to New York to do whatever he's doing now as he's retired. But hopefully, he'll be back yes. to train with us again. And he's got to come back to go to In and Out Burger. Yeah, that's his obsession. <laughs> I find out now. But but we have a, a special guest today. We do. That is going to uh, probably. Uh, introduce us to a lot of things we hadn't thought about because we haven't had anybody in this realm before. No, no we haven't, um, especially since I've been on such a short time. Sure. Um, but yeah, we'll have a different perspective. Our guest name is CJ is what we're going to call him. Yep. And he is a prosecutor. 
So he's on the good side for the blue. Yes. Um, and he's a state, not county prosecutor. Correct. Okay. So CJ, welcome to the show. We're really honored to have you on here today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Good. And uh, we understand this is your first podcast. Yeah, nobody's ever wanted me to be on a podcast before. So does that make him a podcast virgin? Have we taken his virginity? I think we took yeah. his virginity this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That's, that's maybe why he's having to clear his throat so much. He's speechless. <laughs> Let's just hope that we don't ruin it and he's never on another one. That's right. This might be his first and only. So CJ, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, yeah, so I am um, a... Prosecutor, there's really no distinction between state and county. We're all we're all state, but we're you know um, specifically operate within a judicial uh, circuit, which usually includes a couple of counties. So um, I actually I do handle county level. Um, or I, I I'm in county court with you know. Uh, misdemeanors, criminal traffic, DUIs, things like that. Um, and uh, I've been doing it for a few years now, and I, I love it. It's, it's what I went to law school to, to do, and it's what I want to continue to do. You know, before we, we started recording, we are getting to know CJ a little bit, and he told us that he is in his forte or his specialty is he likes to do fraud and and i think that's pretty neat because you know well, that's, i don't do fraud uh, well yeah. you know, okay well you prosecute fraud so you're doing fraud <laughs> you know i i really respect that because you know it, it's it just drives me nuts the way some of these people take advantage of other people and they're and, usually rich people Taking advantage of or, people that aren't necessarily rich, but or what about the seniors that can't? Well, that too. You know, the, that they can't recoup that loss that they've gone through. That too, and, yes. Yeah, that's huge. There's there's so much um, fraud over the telephone and internet now right. that takes advantage of seniors. You know, targeted specifically at seniors. And, sure, sure. Yeah, it's terrible. Well, and you know they're so good at it, which is crazy. It's even some mm-hmm. of the calls that I get you know, on my own phone. I'm like. And is this legit? What is going on? And then I just have to think, okay, you're a cop. Don't trust anyone on the phone. (laughs) Right. So I have to watch you. The longer you're retired (laughs) and the older you get, the more gullible you're going to be. Okay. Uh, Well, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to lose that cynicism. They're professionals. They're professionals. And and they, you know, there's technology to do things now that didn't exist. You know, they can spoof phone numbers. They can make it look like it's your bank calling you. You know, you can't even trust what you see on, you know, the caller ID. Right. So, you know, if I, in, in, in terms of those types of scams, uh, if I, if I can dole out one piece of advice, it's, it's, if you think you're, you know, if you've received a call and you think you're talking to somebody, tell them you call them back. Yes. You know, if you're not sure. Good idea. Cause you call, if someone says it's your bank and you, you say, all right, uh, thank you for letting me know. I'll, I'll call you back in a few minutes. Click, you know, sure. Because they're going to try to keep you on the phone. They're going right. to, you know, keep talking. No, no, no. We, we got to take care of this right now. You know, yeah. we, we, yeah. we can, you know, it'll be worse if we, if we wait later, right? We can take your payment over the phone right now. Whatever, you know. Um, yeah, I got a call one so, time. I remember I was up at the Hoover Dam 
and was showing my cousins around and I get a call and they claim to be the IRS and I owed them this money. And I said, really? And I said, okay, well, given that I'm an IRS agent, and I'm sitting in my supervisor's office. If you could just please give me your name and your supervisor's name, my supervisor will be happy to call yours. Click. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never got those calls anymore. So yeah, I like yeah. the ones that they say, if you don't take care of this right now, a warrant's going to be issued for your arrest. Oh, we're going to take oh, your yeah. house. Yes. There's yeah. a, there's a jury duty scam. that's like that where <laughs> really? they call people and the, you miss jury duty. You know, there's going to be a warrant issued for your arrest. Get crazy stuff. Yeah. But you know, Send the it, police over. if you, you, you find out who they're claiming to be, mm-hmm. take a second, you know, you're going to be worked up, but you got to take a second and verify. You got to be like, all right, you know, I appreciate you letting me know. I'm going to call you right back. And then you call the real entity that they are saying they are. And they're going to say, no, we didn't call you. We've never. Yeah. We don't call people like that. Yeah. You you never called them before you went to arrest them. Oh no. I thought there was always a courtesy call. (laughs) Call them to take, uh, take payment over the phone. So you don't get arrested. Yeah. You can post your bond over the phone. (laughs) Right. Sure. Absolutely. So what drew you to this? Cause you were telling us also pre-interview that you had some acting in your background and that was kind of something you did and you went to law school a little bit late, but what drew you to this? Um, I, I've always, ever since I was a little kid, I was very justice obsessed, Good. I guess I would say I, I, I re- really, really rubbed me the wrong way when things weren't fair, weren't just, um, <laughs> which is, you know, I mean, I, a lot, I guess kids are always, you know, whining about things not being fair, but <laughs> it really, really, <laughs> You know, even when I was getting older, when I was, you know, in, in high school and I just, there's this one incident that I'll always remember. Now, this isn't one of my finer moments, but uh, I was in class and this kid in the, in the front row, I think I was a senior in high school at this point, this kid in the front row, kind of a jokester. And when the teacher would turn his back, he pushes, pushes desk back so that everyone behind him would get pushed back two uh-huh. and he did this a few times until we were all like a spot farther back than we were <laughs> originally you know and the teacher this old old angry man um he he was like all right this entire row you're staying after class you know oh, and i was like no <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I was like i am not staying and i'm like the bell rang and everyone stayed to watch what was going to happen because I was like, I didn't do anything. I'm, and of course, this isn't good advice for, you know, cooperating with law enforcement. But I was, you know, I was just so like offended at the idea of this unjust outcome, you know, right. that I'm paying a price was, for what he did. It was him. Yeah. And you're going to keep all of us, you know, and. Oh, I lost my mind. I like <laughs> slammed my stuff down on the ground and walked out of the room. And oh, no, it was it was something else. But uh, so you're telling you know, us as a child, you love the do as I say, not as I do rule. <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I, you know, maybe maybe a little justice obsessed to a fault. But do you no, know, now you're just I know, passionate. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. I was. That's very true. Yeah. I was very passionate and I had no tolerance for being in trouble for someone else's 
Yeah, I don't blame Wrong you. Wrong I'm with you. Yeah. Do you think that's because um, you were a military kid? Uh, I, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, well, I, I guess we talked about this before the the recording, but right. um, I'm a military brat. Um, my dad's career, word, military. <laughs> and um, it's got to have some impact. I mean, he, he's it impacts who he is as a person. So right. Sure. It definitely impacts impact the way I, you were raised. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my dad was very, he was, he was a pretty authoritarian parent. You know, he, I mean, I love him. He, you know, he never, he was not, he was not abusive or anything like that. He was just, he was just a strict right, guy, right. you know, and he had high expectations and, um, Nothing wrong he's, soft, he's a softy now that he's old. But, <laughs> tread but lightly. Was, uh, <laughs> I'm probably your dad's age, so tread lightly. Right, right. <laughs> about that old stuff now, CJ. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how long have you been doing this? Um, a couple years. To, uh, yeah. So two, two, two and a half okay. years. So yeah. I'm kind of still a baby, but... Um, but maybe my perspective will be different if I come back in a few years and sure. I'm a little more grizzled and we'll follow you through your, through your aging process here of this. Cause I tell you, having been a litigation paralegal and I worked on the, on the civil side, the majority of the time I did have a, an attorney who did uh, got, he was on the list and he got called for a, I guess you'd say a pro bono on a, actually on right, a, right. Um, uh, it was a death penalty case. And I just, mm. I, you know, he gave me the option and I just couldn't do it. I, I, I was just too opposed to trying to help someone, even though I know everyone has a right to a fair trial and representation and all that good stuff, but I don't have to be a part of it. And so I opted out. So everything I did was on a civil side and, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it can, it can age in a big hurry. That's my excuse. Oh, yeah. That's why I look 75 <laughs> and not 62 as those years in litigation. <laughs> but you have a wonderful voice for radio. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us about some of the kinds of things that frustrate you about what's happening in the world today? I'm sure you have opinions on it. I do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, obviously it's a, it's a very tumultuous time in terms of public perception of law enforcement and and that extends to to prosecutors among uh, among lawyers you know they they kind of can sometimes view the you know the public defender as the virtuous you know um aid to the to the um to the victims of society, which is, you know, there's, there's a, there's an element of that for sure. Sure. But, um, and then prosecutors are public enemy number two, right after cops, you know, <laughs> right. so you're, you're just an extension of us. So if we do something wrong, right, then right. you've obviously done something wrong. And, and you're all corrupt and in bed together. <laughs> and yeah. Okay. Yeah. I saw someone making a joke online about, uh, dating a prosecutor saying, why, well, why date a cop when you can date a cop with six figures of student debt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. That's <clears throat> so good. anyway, you know, I, I get frustrated by that. I think, um, I think the, the, 
the spirit of what people were upset about and wanted does not line up with the messaging, with the, you know, the extreme slogans with, you know, things like that. I, I, I have a, I, I absolutely agree that there, that there needs to be accountability. There needs to be, you know, some reforms, Amen. but to, you know, to, to just, to say defunds, to, you know, those types of things. I just, I don't think it's helpful. I think it's counterproductive. And um, do you think, I think they realize what they're even asking for when they say defund it? No, I think it's a well-intentioned but misguided right. um, approach. And I, I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen firsthand. You know, I'm a prosecutor. We're 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 kind of a check on law enforcement sure. in a way uh, because we look at the evidence and the you know the footage, the behavior of of law enforcement, and and the you know the if I have a police report that doesn't line up with what I see on body cam, mm-hmm. you know that's a problem for me and it's not helpful to the overall cause because I can't prosecute a case where there's been some sort of dishonesty or misconduct uh, on the part of the law enforcement officer. So I, you know, I don't know what, sometimes I wonder like, what, what did you think the point of, of doing this was, you know, like it's not going to help the overall cause um, or, you know, how bad is it going to look? in trial when your body cam was off during the crucial moments or, you know, things like that. It's, it's, you know, so in my, in my opinion, prosecutors are part of the solution, if you want to call it that, Mm -hmm. um, for whatever, for whatever we think needs to be reformed in law enforcement, you know, but there are, you know, I, I think prosecutors are just like cops. I think there's, I think there's a lot of great, well-intentioned, you know, honorable people. And I think there's a few not like that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, it's the public just, those are the ones that make the news, yes. right? of course. Yes. And so there's this, this, um, you know, availability bias, I guess, or something where that's all you think of is, you know, mm-hmm. oh, another, another police misconduct, you know, right. somewhere. Sure. They shot some other kid somewhere, you know, whatever that's, and those are horrible things and they shouldn't happen, sure. but they are, they are all that's on the news. You're not, you know, the, the local, especially local and local news is like, I always tell my mom, she's always calling, she lives in another city and she's always talking about the crime, you know, how horrible it is. They're like the worst city in the country. And I'm like, you gotta stop listening to the local news. You know? <laughs> like sure. every local news will make you feel like you live in, the murder capital of the world, right. you know, it's, it's, they and I even will tell her like my city has a higher per capita murder rate than yours. Like we, we don't, you know, right. but the she's, she's going to sell what they can get. Sure. They're not going to get viewers if it's all right. of course. rosy and yeah, the more sensational, the better for them. Uh, you know, of course. And it just occurred to me something that happened yesterday on the news 
or that I saw on the news. And it kind of is interesting to have you on today. Hadn't even thought about this till just now, but the situation with Alec Baldwin on yeah. the set. Yeah. And, you know, I'd loved it. And it was kind of an interesting thing when I was listening to the news about it. And they were talking about, wonder what the perception will be now. Is it going to be that the gun killed that woman and injured the other person? Or was it Alec Baldwin? Or was it the person that was responsible for making sure that, because I've heard two different stories on what actually went down. But as a prosecutor, what are your thoughts on that? How how do you think this is going to be handled? Well, I I would be shocked if if there were any criminal charges involved in any of this. Um, Even with regards to the per- because was it that the the project it really wasn't loaded with live rounds. Right. At one point they were saying there was, but then they said something about it was the it was the projectile that looks like a regular bullet that doesn't have gunpowder in it, but it was the way it came out and forced something else that was in the gun. I mean, that sounds, <clears throat> excuse me, that sounds identical to, I, I haven't heard the latest on what the specifics of what happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, what you're describing is what happened to Brandon Lee yes. on the, yes, they were uh, talking the crow. About it was the, yes, they had two prop bullets. They had the ones with the tips without any gunpowder and they had the, the one, the blanks, you know, yes. and right. there was a tip stuck in the barrel and they put a blank in there and fired it and it shot out, you know, this projectile, which, you know, that supposedly they created rules to, you know, and protocols to keep that from ever happening again. Right. Um, well, so was, I, I was, there was talk too about to see that it happened again. Crews walking off the set because of safety precautions. And I wondered if that would come into play then maybe also to criminal charges actually being filed because apparently somebody was seeing something, whether it had anything to do with these. It's possible. I mean, it's got to rise to a pretty high level of, of, you know, criminal negligence on somebody's part. Sure. But, um, you know, and I don't think, I mean, I'm sure most of our listeners, because most are probably in the law enforcement field, although we do have fire and, and civilians also, but I think a lot of times Joe Public doesn't understand law enforcement handles one part of the entire process. A person mm-hmm. can't be prosecuted for a crime without the U.S. Attorney's Office or the state attorney or the whoever signing off and saying, yes, there's grounds here, probable cause, whatever, for mm-hmm. this to go to court. And I think it would be how many things do you have brought to you by law enforcement that wind up being, nah, not taking that to court? Many. <laughs> and see, I don't think uh, the public knows that. No, I don't think they do. Yeah, it's all the time we have to drop cases for one reason or another, you know, whether we like it or not. I, I mean, it, it all has to line up. You have to, you have to have the evidence that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that you believe that you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this crime was committed by this person, right? That's, that's it. Sure. It's the bottom line. And if you can't do that, you have to drop the case. We don't right. throw spaghetti at the wall and see if we can make <laughs> yeah. it stick. You know, we, we're not going to spend our time doing that. We have too many cases, you know, we're, we're going to drop, we're going to, and, and there's other factors. I mean, there's a, a seriousness 
level of the of the offense. And, you know, I mean, you, you're going to put a lot more effort into trying to prove something more serious than, right. you know, than like. So uh, like in my career, I, I did a lot for like almost 20 years of fatal accidents. That was, that was my, my main job was to go out and investigate fatal accidents and, you know, make a case or not make a case. Like when we had somebody that was, that had, you know, died in one of our cases, it wasn't my decision to right. say, yeah, this doesn't rise to the level that we need to prosecute. My job was to present the facts. I would turn it over to a prosecutor and say, you tell me if, if you think that this, you know, has reached that threshold. Right. I'm well, not the one to say, nope, this case doesn't, doesn't matter. It's, it's not. Yeah. Well, those are two different standards, right? I mean, you, right. you need probable cause for an arrest. That's not as high a standard as beyond a reasonable doubt. And it's right. not your job in the field to figure out whether it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. I mean, right. you're, you're erring on this. The system is designed to err on the side of we're going to arrest more people than we're going to prosecute. Mm -hmm. And that's just, that's the way it has to be because then the prosecutors will have the time and the, the resources to, um, to take it to the next level. And that's why so many get dropped. And that's just how the system is supposed to work. I mean, we're, right. we're supposed to drop cases that we can't prove or that there's been, you know, I'm, and this doesn't happen often. I don't want to give the impression it happens often, but when there is some problematic thing that law enforcement did that we have to drop, you know, we drop it. It's, right. it's you know, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, someone's constitutional rights are violated and we think it's going to get kicked out anyway, then it's not worth exactly. putting it through the system. You know, you know, our um, system may not be perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better than what some of these other countries have. That's for sure. Absolutely. And I get frustrated seeing those comparisons made too. you know, yeah. talking about the U S having show trials and, you know, things like right. that. And, and just it, it's, if people, I mean, obviously I've never experienced living in a, in a, you know, oppressive regime, but if, if people could experience that, yes. I think they would understand how, you know, sure. uh, how much better it is here right. while imperfect. And there absolutely are people who are, who are, who are railroaded by the system. Sure. There are innocent people uh, in prison and there are, uh, there are mechanisms to, to deal with that on the back end. I'm happy to see, you know, post-conviction units in, in prosecutors offices that, that revisit those cases and, and figure it out. And hopefully it's getting better. I mean, time will tell, but right. you know, the, the period of, you know, I hope the period of railroading African-American men, you know, for virtually everything is behind us or mostly behind us or almost all the way behind us. Um, well, fortunately, but it certainly science, was. science and technology is yeah. is extremely helpful now where we didn't have that 70s, 80s, even most of the 90s that we sure. didn't have the DNA at the level we have it now. We didn't have cameras at like every intersection and every corner of every building. And, and, right. and then you add body cams to police officers and dash cams and, and all the other things, it, it's going to be a lot more difficult, I think, now for the things to happen that may have happened in the, you know, in the past, which is a good I thing. I hope so. It's yeah. a good yeah. thing. Yeah. And DNA and things like that are, you know, are, I mean, well, it's kind of a double-edged sword, really. Sure. The, the 
DNA has exonerated people mm-hmm. who were railroaded and, and that's great. Sure. Um, but the other side of that, which we deal with all the time is what we call the CSI effect <laughs> where, <laughs> you know, you come with a case, even some like, you know, uh, criminal mischief case in, in County court and the jury is like, where's, where's the DNA? Where's the fingerprints, you know? And you're yeah. like, that's not what this is. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is, you can't expect that in every single case, you know, and you, you juries have an expectation, a higher bar now, I think sometimes for, right. for evidence than they used to. But so and does they, the general you know, public though, like for the police end of it, you know, you, you get the guys that watch this hour long show and the whole crime is solved, Oh, you know, and it's now it's prosecuted and everything's done in an hour. Right. Well, right. <laughs> it doesn't happen that fast in the real world. No. And what's sad though, is I think that, but then the public doesn't really want to see what's really happening out there when we cancel the like live PD. And I, and I do think live PD did some good stuff in that people, it, it wasn't Hollywood. It, um, you know, we had Sheriff Mark Lamb on and Pinell County was one of the counties live PD followed. And you saw some of the things that law enforcement truly deals with. And it isn't all, you know, shootings and things like it is on The Rookie and all these other TV shows. It makes it look like, you know, you're in shootings every 20 minutes and it's solved like that. And it's there's a lot more to it. I, I wish a lot of society would get out and do ride alongs. Um, you know, I encourage everyone. Yeah. I mean, do you as a prosecutor get out and do, have you done many ride-alongs with law enforcement? Uh, yes. Good. Um, I, well, I have done one and I want to do more. I want to, um, I want to do one with every agency that we deal Good. with. Good. Um, I, I, I've done one with, um, the DUI unit of our sheriff's office. Good. Um, and that was, that was interesting. That yes. was, it's, it's an eye opening experience, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, a very eye opening experience. And I, and I prosecuted many DUIs. Um, so to see it from, mm-hmm. from that perspective and man, I got to tell you one, one sort of unrelated thing I took away from that was how, just torturous the booking process is <laughs> yes you know yes. i was like we're just gonna sit here for hours you know like yeah. and while fill out paperwork and-, and fill out paper i'm just gonna watch you do that yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not it's not quite as exciting i've done uh tell them in classes in 30 years i've probably done more ride-alongs around this country than some officers do in a career because to me that's where i've learned probably some of the most valuable information just in hanging out with them and Mm -hmm. seeing what it's like to go from sheer boredom to all of a sudden a hot tone and where their adrenaline goes and then what happens Mm -hmm. afterwards and the a lot of sitting around bored that's why i couldn't be a cop i said i'm the one I'm the one you would be prosecuting. I'm the one who'd have a paintball gun in the back seat going, uh, boring. No, we're going to go start shooting at people. It's paintball. We'll get some stuff stirred up. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's it's uh, zero to 60 and 60 to zero, I guess, a lot. Um, and, you know, we started off the night, you know, the DUI shift starts off earlier than there are typically a lot of DUIs. Right. Um, and so, you know, we started off just doing some speed enforcement. and. Even, I mean, that was, 
that was kind of exciting, you know, just mm-hmm. sitting in the dark and uh, <laughs> watching the, I, I know, I don't think I ever even understood how the radar worked <laughs> or, or anything, you know, until I watched it. And, you know, sh- this, uh, this sheriff's deputy was, you know, kind of explaining to me the, she, I, I mean, I, I think they all kind of have their own, their own, uh, you know, what, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. They, they have their own way of doing it, you know, yeah. and, and their own tolerances, yeah, I sure. guess I would say. Right. Yes. Um, and, you know, she would just, if someone was like, I don't know, 15, 20 over the speed of was, and, and did not slow down after they saw her. Right. Then she was like, that's it. We're, we're <laughs> step on it. And, yeah. and at least make an it effort. Was, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, like, at least pretend like you weren't going to you know, 20 miles the over. Brakes, dip the front of the car yeah. and do something so you saw me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that was interesting. But then, um, you know, we ended up very quickly getting called to a, a DUI scene where um, this guy was driving on the wrong side of the road parked at a stoplight obeying the red light but from the opposite (laughs) side of the road golly y'all are picky at least he stopped at the red light (laughs) yeah well can't get him for running the red light i guess exactly uh, yeah he and of course the first car on the opposite side of him was the lieutenant of the DUI unit who just noses right up to him and you know and, and uh it's like really yeah and then they he called us out to do the actual you know field sobriety exercises and, and you know that lieutenant that guy, they're scratching his head going what is really this is this really, right, really right yeah. here in front of me? Just, somebody's yanking my yeah. chain here like the easiest yeah it, and uh i re- i remember this guy um they asked him he was like this really pleasant, funny, incredibly drunk guy, you know, and <laughs> sometimes and they were that. like, how I think he blew like a two, three, two, four, something oh, like that. Like, he, was, he was, yeah. Blitzed, he was yeah. And he, he, uh, they said like, how many, how much have you had to drink? You know, what were you drinking tonight? And he's like beer, you know, and they're like, oh, how many beers did you drink? And he goes, I don't know. How many can you drink during a football game? <laughs> <laughs> Let's play a guessing game here. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, I mean, it was, it was funny, but the other side of that is like, this guy's driving on the wrong side of the road in like right. a 45 mile an hour wow. zone at night. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's, it, it's so weird. It's such a weird feeling to that, that dichotomy kind of struck with me. Like <laughs> this guy's hilarious. And Super dangerous. Right. You know? the same time. <laughs> but here in Arizona now, that that drives that DUI up to a aggravated, aggravated with it, and that's mm. just recent though. Yeah, that yeah, when you're driving on the wrong side of the road, it takes it to a whole nother level, and right, and, and it kind of surprises me that that hasn't always been the case. I mean, I know we have a lot of wrong way drunk drivers on interstates. Yeah, we've still had troopers me. kill stopping them. It, I mean, it, it'll be, it seems like there's one every other week there for a while. It's crazy, especially here in the Valley. But I guess that's why. Yeah, that does enhance it. Yeah. That does enhance it here too. Yeah. Good. Um, 
But yeah, I would encourage you to get out with all of them and and see the other things that just go on in a shift, especially night shift. You know, sure. maybe not so much as much graves as swings, but and I don't know how the agencies where you are, if they run eights, tens, twelves, what they do. But um, it's you know, one of the most funs I ever had was we were running probably 120 chasing a car. And my job in the front seat was to push the button that made the siren at that time. This stage, how long ago? <laughs> yeah, go make the funny noises. And, and sometimes I'd just push it down. You could see the trooper look at me like, would you let that thing up? <laughs> and, but it is, it's just a crazy world that I would encourage all citizens uh, to get out and do ride-alongs. I think they need to Absolutely. see for themselves. It's such, it's such a eye-opening, informative yeah. experience. And I've heard great stories from my friends who, you know, other prosecutors who've done it, who sure. ended up in some more, some more interesting, dangerous situations <laughs> than, than I did. You know, like the, you know, you, you stay in the car, this is the shotgun if you need it. You yeah. Know, <laughs> <I'm gonna> go. <laughs> yeah, I was that on a ride along thing. up in Indianapolis pretty early in my career and we were called, he picked me up at the hotel and we were called to an armed robbery at a hotel around the corner. And this poor officer didn't know me. Now, the cops in Alabama were like, under no circumstances, we have ever left her in a running vehicle with a shotgun <laughs> and given her instructions. <laughs> and um, and as they go in, I see the guy come out the back door. And I'm thinking, oh, do I dare? Do I just <laughs> slip over to the driver's side? <laughs> I can at least let him know where he's going. <laughs> I was so frustrated by the time they came out of the car. I was I was standing out of the car hollering at him, and they finally come out. I was like, well, he's gone. He went that way. <laughs> but, yeah, it was. It, I did think about the shotgun. I probably could have taken him down at the distance we were. But <laughs> that, would have, that would have changed that, that ride along a yeah. lot. <laughs> I do want to know, though, as a prosecutor, your thoughts about everything that's coming out nationally now about the number of people being released. And and I don't really I, I just have to turn the TV off at points, but I don't know how much of this is actually on the prosecutors, the judges or what. But when these people have multiple offenses and they're being brought in, especially up in New York, where we hear so many of them, and then they're let out and they kill somebody. Do you think, are you talking about pre-trial or are you talking about after, like let out early after? A, well, I think there's both. Uh, I, uh-huh. You know, again, it's a little bit confusing when you hear the stories, but I know like some of them, it's been things <laughs> where they've been arrested and let out. And I'm not talking about shoplifting stuff, but pretty aggravated stuff. And they're let out, no bond issues, and they go out and kill somebody within 24 mm-hmm. hours of release. It, yeah. Is this really new or is this stuff we're just now hearing about? I don't I don't think that's new. I, I think it's probably a media attention thing, but that's you know that there are several there are several people responsible for what happens to someone pre-trial and whether they are going to be held, you know, um, held without bond or held with a bond or or release on their own recognizance. Um, and I mean, I've, I've done those, those, um, first appearance, uh, things before where, you know, we, we sit in a room with a judge and a probation officer and a couple other people. Um, and the defense attorneys are in the jail with the, uh, defendants 
and we're kind of video conferencing the, the first appearances. And it's our job to look at those arrest reports, see if there's any problem with probable cause. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is, we typically ask the judge for 24 hours, keep them for 24 hours. Let us, let us talk to the law enforcement officer and get more information because we don't have enough probable cause from what's written here, but maybe they, maybe there's something else that they, you know, that they didn't include that's important. Um, so we do that. And, and if we do feel that there's probable cause to hold them or to ask for special restrictions on their release or to ask for no bond to ask, you know, to ask, we're the ones that ask for what we want for that defendant. And then it's the judge's decision. So, um, you know, most of the time in my experience, the judge defers to what the prosecution thinks is appropriate, but sometimes they don't. And it's frustrating. Um, you know, so I, I, one of the most frustrating to me is, is domestic violence cases, which are just heartbreaking from every frustrating and heartbreaking from every angle. (laughs) You know, if you, uh, you know, I haven't been a a DV prosecutor, but I, I've handled those cases at, at first appearance. And I, and I, I've worked alongside domestic violence prosecutors in the courtroom. And, and, you know, if you're, I, I think, misdemeanor domestic violence is like the worst prosecution assignment you could possibly have because you're you're just going to drop 90 something percent of them because the victim's not going to cooperate the victim's not going to come to court victims that you know and like what are you going to do you're going to you know you're going to have them subpoenaed and arrested you know it's it's just it's not worth it uh there's too many cases it's, it's heartbreaking. It's frustrating. It's all those things. And, sure. and, and at first appearance, you'll have, you'll have a, you know, a domestic violence defendant in jail and their victim, their partner has a right to come in the room with us for, for their portion of first appearance mm-hmm. uh, and say anything they want to say on their behalf. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, it's just, I mean, that's like one of the most, just gut-wrenching things that I see is, is these victims defending their abusers and, you know, begging for us to let them out and drop the charges and whatever. And, you know, on one hand, we know that it's not their decision whether we drop the charges or not. You know, the public's concept of pressing charges is, is a little, uh, <laughs> inaccurate. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is, it is our decision and our decision alone, but, but there is a practicality of, if you don't have a cooperative yeah. victim, how well can you loan, loan victim witness, right. you know, yeah. then you're not, you don't have a case. So, um, they, you know, they have in a way, a way to make us drop the case, but when they do that to us, but it's just, it's just horrible to watch these, these victims crying, sitting there across from us and looking at their, you know, like, you know, their, their loved, their loved one who abused them on the screen and, and just feeling so sorry for them and and begging us to, you know, to let them go. And it's just, we see that so many times. And then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to see this person again. I'm going to see this person again. And hopefully next time it's not because they killed you. Right. Right? Exactly. Yep. 
Yeah. And people are just, I mean, it's, you know, I don't want to be flippant and say that they're being stupid. I, I, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like a disease, like, like an addiction or something, you know, it's like they have a, an addiction to this person and they can't, no matter what they do, they can't, you know, break free, break away. I I was an advocate for domestic violence when I was in graduate school and I could never wrap my brain around why, at least at that time, women for the most part are the, usually the victims not, and men can be for sure, but they would leave on average of seven times before they left for good. And then it finally hit me like a ton of bricks one day. And this is one of the things we stress, uh, educate our stress coaches on is people misunderstand the word comfort zone. They think mm-hmm. it means it's a good place. But what I found was that domestic violence victims, their comfort zone was knowing they'd be beaten Monday, Wednesday, Friday or whatever, because there's usually a some level of pattern to it. And it was more uncomfortable to be out on their own in the unknown. So they mm-hmm. would go back. I hated group work in domestic violence because you'd have a woman who's beaten every day sitting next to a woman in group who's beaten twice a week. And the one that's beaten twice a week's going, man, I haven't got it so bad. I'm going back home. <laughs> I can handle this. And you go, this is, this is something that needs to be dealt with. But it truly becomes their comfort zone. I guess that phrase, what, better, better the devil you know? Yeah. than the unknown. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. And or they're financially dependent yes, or something right. like yes. that. Yeah. That mm. too. And you know, and they've isolated them and created all these other conditions. Right. They definitely have groomed them, that's for sure. But how has dependencies? That, yeah. yeah. How has that changed those since and I don't know if this is at the misdemeanor level or whatever, but now and I thought this happened many years ago, can't law enforcement actually be the if they see the bruises, the whatever from it, doesn't it then take it out of the victim's hands that the charges can be brought by law enforcement from the perspective they were the witness right, to Right, but it? just like CJ was saying, still, yeah, we'll make that arrest because, you know, we see the evidence that the crime has, you know, been committed. But when they go to that, you know, initial appearance and that victim is now like CJ said, begging them to release their husband, their partner, whatever it is. Right. You know, that's what kind of case does he have to present to a jury? But what about where the ones refuse to show up? Well, it's... How does that, how does that impact it when you have law enforcement who can be the witness if the victim themselves <clears throat> won't come? Does law well, enforcement... Well, law enforcement will only be able to testify to what they saw. Right. And if, you know, if we think that that's going to be enough. You know, I came and, you know, and uh, responded to a, you know, a 911 call and and she was bruised, mm-hmm. you know, is that beyond a reasonable doubt? I mean, it, you know, it's yeah. probably not. It's different and, if you pull up and you see the guy beaten, you know, his, right. his spouse. Yeah. Yeah. If you witness it, right. then sure. You can be the witness. That's it. We got our case, you know, but if you don't witness it, uh, that's that's like we were talking about before. There's your difference between probable cause and and beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. You know, it, it's and the jury and, wants to see beyond a reasonable doubt. And the jury needs the victim right. in those circumstances. They need the they need to. And, and you know, this is what's so frustrating for us is, you know, if, if it's a one on one domestic violence situation, these are the only two people that are in the room. 
who called 911? Right. You know, the, vic- right. the victim did. Right. She felt threatened enough to call 911. Sure. And now she won't cooperate, you know, with the case. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's, sure. it's, and you want, you know, where was, where was, where was the person who called 911? Where's she? Right. You know, can you, can you bring her out? You right. know, cause we, we need that. And, and it breaks my heart. <clears throat> well, and I think a lot of times too, and I, again, this was more probably when I was in Alabama, but then it became the conflict for law enforcement when they get there and it's hard to tell and everybody's got marks, then everybody goes to jail. Oh yeah. That happens too. It's not unusual to have a, a battery case where you're not sure who who's is the actually, yeah. Who's sure. the, who, who started this and who, you know, if it's just mutual combat and, you know, it's not, you know, I mean, it, it's those cases are tough too. You know, sure. it's yeah, you, and and sometimes you start questioning it. You know, this is this is it's unfortunate. This is the reality. But some sometimes you start questioning what you thought was true. Right. <laughs> halfway through a case, you know, or, right. or even halfway through a trial, you put somebody on the stand, and they're saying what they're saying is not what they said before, or it's not adding up, or you know, and it's. It's tough. You know, those are, there are cases that we have to drop in the middle of trial. Mm-hmm. Jury go home. Yep. We have to drop it because of something, you know, uh, some mistake that we didn't realize or some change in testimony or some, you know, sure. and that's unfortunate, but uh, in our ethical requirements, we can't continue to prosecute a case that we no longer have that assurance that this person is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. I can't, I can't do it anymore. You know, that's our, that's our ethical bar requirement. You know, I'm, I'm beginning to understand why he wants to do fraud. Well, exactly. So what is, what is the hardest thing for your fraud cases for a good prosecution? Oh, it's, it's intent. Uh, mental state, mens rea is, is the most difficult thing in fraud cases, financial crimes, things like that. Um, because anyone can make a mistake and, and end up, you know, overcharging someone or something. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's not fraud. It's fraud. If you meant it, well, how do you prove that you meant it? You know, it's, that's the most difficult thing to try to prove. And, and, you know, people who prosecute murder understand the same thing. It's, sure. you know, proving someone's mental state. Did they premeditate this? Did they, you know, right. um, to what degree was it, you know, right. Uh, you know, what was going on in their head? How do you, how do you have evidence of what was going on in someone's head? Right. That's, that's the most difficult thing in a lot of those types of cases. And we just, we have to do it. We have to prove it through, through other means, we present evidence that suggests what their mental state was. And then it's up to the jury if they buy it without beyond a reasonable doubt. You know, they have to they have to believe it that that, that and, and, and in financial crimes, I mean, frequently you need a you need something that they said. Like a, like in an email or something like that, that's that's your smoking gun, which is you're not always going to get that. But you know, a, a long enough pattern will demonstrate that it's not an accident. Right. 
How do you anymore? How do you prosecute a case where an elderly person is called and given some things like what we talked about earlier? Yeah, and they start giving out their credit card information to give money to somebody on the other end of a phone that mm-hmm. has spoofed it. Whatever. How do you even begin to find out who that person is? Those cases are almost impossible. Really, they're almost impossible. They almost never come to justice. They're wow. They're call centers, yeah. you know, sometimes they're call centers, or I don't want to say sometimes, a lot of the other time, countries. most of the time, maybe they're call centers in another country. Yes. We're not, you know, and, and, and that's how these, these, you know, phone scam operations work is, is they'll have a, you know, a call center in, in India or the Philippines or something. And, and uh, sometimes the, sometimes the people doing People on the phone mm-hmm. are not even fully privy to the scam. They're they're almost victims themselves, and they're being told, you know, to do certain things. Like uh, that, like there's one there's one in particular that happens a lot where, um, like, uh, a pop up will come up on your computer that says that this, uh, you know, antivirus software found, you know, whatever these these viruses, these problems on your computer, and they'll um, they'll tell you to call this number. So you feel like it's legit because you're not getting a, a call out of the blue. You're calling a number, but you're really calling a number that's going to a call center somewhere. And um, the, the person on that other end of the call may actually not understand that it's a scam. Right. And they try to help you and and charge you, you know, and they pull up these, it's such gray area. You know, it's hard to tell sometimes at what point do these, do the, do the perpetrators, do the callers realize that they're involved in a scam? And, I, and I've heard some of them, you know, talk about how at first they didn't understand that what they were doing was scamming people. And then at some point they realize it and then they have a decision to make, you know, right. do they like keep making you? money and keep doing it and right. are now they're privy to it or do they get out because they can't stomach it? You know. Um, and there are people that go either way, but you know what? They'll they'll pull up like a an error log on your computer. They'll they'll get remote control over your computer. They'll right. ask you for that, right. and which in and of itself, I mean, there's so many damaging things they could do, yeah, but they actually one. don't freak, usually end up doing anything too damaging. What they do is they pull up the this error log that everyone has on your computer, and it shows like every little error your computer's ever encountered, thousands of them on every single computer, and they'll show that to you. Like, look at all these errors, you know, mm-hmm. we can fix this. Right. And, and, you know, pay $200. We'll, our, our technicians will go in and they'll repair everything, whatever. And, and, you know, and then they're in and out. They don't bother the same people twice. They, they get their 200 right. bucks. They move on, you know, and you're because not prosecuting yeah. sure. those people. They're sure. first of all, Russia, India, Philippines, they're not good luck. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're not we're going to, to, we're to send Tom right over to Russia <laughs> to arrest him. <laughs> exactly. And you got to cooperate with local authorities and occasionally something's big enough right. where that happens. But those little frauds like that, this is so slippery. And, and most countries, if they're not taking advantage of the people in that country, right. they don't care. They don't, they're not going to lift a finger, you know, cause they're taking a couple hundred bucks from Americans, you know, there's, there's this perception that frequently there's this perception that Americans are, 
Americans have extra money. It's not right. a big deal if you, yeah. they can you afford know, it. If you take some, we're a rich country. That means everybody's rich, right? Absolutely. You just, you just, yeah. 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 So, so yeah, you, those those frauds. You're you're just you're not gonna you're not gonna get them. <laughs> Unfortunately, so, all you can do is warn people how to avoid them. And know. and again, uh, and I think it's important for people to hear that. Um, I, I got I didn't get caught in one. Fortunately, I have too many friends in law enforcement. But in my younger days after divorce, and I had someone dare me to get on one of the dating sites, and I did, and mm. wound up with um, somebody that I knew perfectly well was not who they said they were. <laughs> you know, the accent usually gives it away. Um, and the broken English. And had a friend that was former Secret Service, and I had called him, and he was like, yeah, that's this, and it was some group and he told me everything that was going to happen. So I, I made it a game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now I'm having fun. <laughs> and the guy claims to be this diamond whatever, and he's going to yeah. go to wherever he's going, some foreign country. And, yeah. and mm -hmm. Todd had told me, he said, and the next thing is he's going to get kidnapped or held prisoner or something. He's going to need money. And I, okay, I'm ready. And sure enough, played out exactly that way. And he calls me, and he's desperate for money. And so I'm like, he goes, I need you to to – uh, wire this money to this. Okay, give me the account. And, you know, I get the account number and all the information. He may still be sitting by that machine waiting for that <laughs> wire. I don't know. But it was funny. And then I passed that on up the chain to the feds. And it, it was just so funny to see that they could just literally map it out exactly what it was going to look like mm -hmm. and what they were going to say and what they were going to be doing. You weren't the first sucker. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And believe me. Oh, no. Yeah. High volume. Yes. Yeah. But, what do you tell people to do? Do things like LifeLock and and that kind of stuff real? I mean, I like your idea about telling them you'll call them back. Like I said, I just pretend to be the IRS. And sure, we probably work in the office next door to you. Um, but are there other things that people can do to make sure that they don't get caught in these scams? Well, never send money to someone you've never Matt, yeah. <laughs> it's a no good, uh, yeah. If you pay me a hundred thousand dollars, I'll give you eighty thousand back, <laughs> exactly. or a million. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. And those romance, you know, those those oh, catfisher uh, dating site scam. That's very very popular, and they're again, they're not in America. You're not right. going to get them. That's right. Um, and they, it doesn't always have to be something dramatic like they were kidnapped. I mean, it's always they go to another country. Yes. And something happens, right? Yes. It could even be their credit cards not working. Right. Right. Something simple that sounds believable. Right. Like in this country, they don't take my only credit card. You know, right. can you can you help me out? You know, yep. no, <laughs> don't ever send money to someone you haven't even met. Sure. It's it's absurd. And 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 someone in, in reality, you're not going to be the person they would ask. Right. Right. Just think about that. Yeah. I mean, they, who, this person must know other people. They're going to ask don't someone they family? met on a dating website yeah. for money. I mean. And it's easy to say from, you know, 10,000 well, feet. On that the, it, they do yeah. prey on yeah. the ones that are very, very good. At, yes. Right. Too many people. And people who are stuff. lonely and, yes. and want someone to talk to, you know, they, but they too prey much information on. To make you a victim. Yeah. You know, it's they like prey I'm, on people who are vulnerable in some way. And yes. that can be loneliness. That can be recent trauma, death in the family, loss sure. of a job, whatever. They, they know where to look. Um, but you know, many of us like were that. raised on that saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And I think yeah. we've gotten away from too much of that now. And now we've got to be nice to everybody for everything. And we've gotten away from this concept of 
really making people a little bit cynical about the world. And, you know, it's just like I tell people all the time, I walk with my keys in my hand wherever I'm going. I walk with my head up. I am looking at people. Mm -hmm. I am not walking with my head down, pillaging through my purse, looking for something because it screams victim. But I think we've gotten away from this concept of we do need to be a little bit jaded about people around us and things people say to us. We don't have to buy into everything everybody says. So I think the pendulum has almost swung too far the opposite direction, and people are becoming comfortable being victims of things. Yeah, I don't know if you ever listened. If you ever listened to uh, my favorite murder podcast, but they uh, they have an expression: uh, "Screw politeness," except they don't say "screw." (laughs) Good philosophy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And. You know, the other the other thing you can do is is Facebook has become so <laughs> ubiquitous and and changed from being a young person's thing to being an older person's yes. thing. Right. And a lot of scammers are able to get a lot of information from Facebook yes. because people keep things public and yep. right. and or they accept any friend request that comes their way. Those, those are two true. things you cannot do. You, you cannot accept friend requests from people you don't know. Right. You can always send them a message. Sure. Say, hey, do I know you? Right. Or and 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 I see so many older people's Facebook accounts that everything is public. Sure. They gotta change the privacy yes. to your friends only. Yes. Right. It, it, that's what Facebook's supposed to be for anyway, you know? Yes. It's 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 supposed to be for connecting with friends and like-minded people, whatever family staying in contact. It's great Not to meet every for those stranger things. out yeah. there. <laughs> I know some of the requests but, I get for friends. I'm like, who is this exactly. person? <laughs> right. Yeah. But if all your information is public, they know the names of all your family yeah. and they can call you and say, you know, I just talked to your cousin, Mike, you know, whatever, yeah. like that they can do these things to, to lend legitimacy and make you believe them. Sure. Uh, or they can see that you just, you know, they can see a, some life event that just happened to you because it's public. Right. You know, and, and anything. It's it's too much information on us is out there and you're never going to scrub it all away. No. There's going to be a Internet paper trail for you. And it's there forever. Uh, but for you can do what you can. Yes. And that's that's, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm preaching to the choir with your law enforcement off, uh, audience, but, you know. Well, but I think sometimes even families of law enforcement because of the nature of the environment that cops tend to not want to talk to families to protect them of things and the reality of what the world really is. But, but I, you know, and again, I have to kind of bash on my own kind of sort of my own world and that's the mental health world. But I think we've gotten too comfortable making people victims, even just in labeling of PTSD, making people think that, you know, they have to be victims of their past. And the reality is that's just not true. Um, there are things you can do. And, you know, I, we don't do victims in our office. You want to be a victim, you go pay somebody $150 an hour. Um, but, you know, I have people in here and they always are talking about their triggers. I almost lose my mind. <laughs> and they want to talk about, um, you know, gaslighting. I'm like, oh my God, y'all have been in too many therapist offices. Uh, because, again, people need to learn. They can and have control of their own lives and a lot of their own destiny 
but they think it's okay to put all this information wherever they want to put it and be a victim to it. So I'm glad there are people like you. I'm not a numbers person. My philosophy about math in school was always that if I couldn't do it on a calculator, that's why God created accountants. And so my math skills are very limited, and I'm perfectly happy with them that way. Um, but we're glad there are people like you out there because I think these crimes are a lot more common than people think they are. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. technology continues to go in the direction it does. It's only going to get worse. And people better start locking their stuff down. And again, I don't know if LifeLock helps that much. I'm one of those members of LifeLock. I'll do everything I can, knowing there's still always exceptions. But you got to do what you can to protect yourself. Yeah, those types of things will do a good job of alerting you to activity that may indicate some kind of identity theft or, or, you know, um, credit theft or things like that um, so that you can act quickly on it and stop it from, from, you know, uh, staying there uh, and and you can remediate. But um, yeah, if you're not familiar with one called family tree now, Mm-hmm. become familiar with it. That one is, okay. to me, is probably, I have some now retired FBI agent friends that warned me about it years ago, but that's probably one of the craziest ones I've ever seen. All you have to put in is a last name and a state. And I've done it under all three states where I lived. And it pops up with every address I've lived since I was six years old, every phone number I've had, every vehicle yeah, I've owned, crazy. the number mm-hmm. of people that are, I mean, my ex-husband and his second wife and her daughter and her ex-husband and all these people tied to me. It was crazy. But mm-hmm. yeah, that family tree now, people need to opt out of that one. That one is is one of the easiest to ac- gain access about a lot of information that people need to set up credit cards and stuff. So if you haven't looked at that, that's one I would encourage you to look at. Yeah. And there's so much of that. Yes. You're... You know, there's too much information on everyone out there. Um, same thing with like, even you can you can go to like voterrecords.com mm-hmm. and find not just somebody's you know political party affiliation, which is in theory private, but uh, but also but their home address, their their vote. You know, sure. It's thing. Yeah, there's there's just too much. This is why. I mean, you know, I have Facebook, but I um, keep everything private, and I I keep my family out of my out of any public pictures like my profile or, or, um, you know, the, whatever the banner. Um, cause I just don't, you know, I'm a prosecutor. I, I, you I can have in theory enemies that, yeah. Um, so <laughs> sure. occasionally they don't yeah. like you. <laughs> well, and as we wrap it up here with, I think that this is a good opportunity also to talk about LEO web protect, this is a group we probably need to reach out to. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them, and I'm assuming prosecutors would be allowed to join this group, but it's a group of retired law enforcement, is my understanding, as well as current law enforcement who have started a company called leowebprotect.com, and it's something like $99 a year, and they are continually searching their clients' information on the web and erasing it getting rid of it. Mm. And I think it's a great thing to have because there was one a long time ago that's been around for a long time that law enforcement could use, but you had to find your own stuff and then send it on your letterhead to them to 
get screen. it off. Yeah. And uh, so this LEO Web Protect, again, it's not something that I do because I need y'all to be able to find me. So any information I have out there is good information. I mean, y'all are the ones writing my name and phone number on the bathroom walls for a good time. Call Susan. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but I have had clients that have used it, and it has been very effective, especially during the protests and riots and stuff. There were a lot of families doing it. So uh, that's something that uh, we would encourage you to look into, and I'm sure there are probably others out there as well. Um, but CJ, we thank you so much for your time this morning. We will have you back as your career progresses. Let's see if we can get. Let's see how long it takes him to get real jaded. <laughs> he comes on. The beard is gray now, and now everybody's a criminal. And everybody needs to go to jail. <laughs> That's how I feel about uh, people in traffic. Yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> I hear you. We have a, we have a therapy for that. It's called rubber band therapy, <laughs> and you put the widest, fattest, tightest rubber band on your wrist. And every time you get mad at somebody in traffic, you pull it back and get enough blisters. You'll you'll suddenly not care about those people. All right. I'll work. I'll try that. Yeah, it does work. Uh, but we do. We appreciate your time here. And we thank you for what you are doing yes. because you are certainly a step in the law enforcement process of this system that we have, as we've said, is certainly the greatest in the world. Not that it's not flawed and there are things that we can do and it's taking everybody at every level. Uh, to do it. And um, so we will certainly look forward to having you back as you mature in this career. And uh, thank you. want to thank our audience also for listening. What have you got to add, Mr. Tom, the bomb.com? Uh, not too much. Uh, I, I also would like to thank CJ. Um, it's nice to have your perspective from, yes. as a prosecutor. Um, Cause that's something that a lot of the law enforcement, we don't, you know, we may turn a case over and it gets turned down and, and then all we do is bitch and moan about these damn prosecutors. <laughs> you know, they, they can't see a, you know, a case through for nothing, but really it's, I know, I know it. I know it. <laughs> I hear it. I hear it. <laughs> you know, it's, it, we got to give you the case to work. So, um, but it's nice well, to have and, you your know, perspective. There's, there's, there's things we can do uh, to, to help with that. Right. And it's my policy. And a lot of prosecutors I know, you know, try to do this, uh, I'm not going to say that I am able to do it 100% of the time, but a, a lot of the time, if I have to drop a case, I will send a quick email to the LEO and yeah. tell him why, right. or him or her why. Sure. Uh, I just try to be courteous. Right. And, you know, say, hey, you, we need this, this, and this. Refile if you can get this. Right, right. Yeah. Or give a little advice. And next, exactly. next, not, not that I want to you know, have the audacity to give <laughs> Cops advice, but yeah, you do. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But I mean, hey, if, if we're all on the same team and we want That's these it. cases to go forward, right. next time, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I've worked with some great prosecutors over my 27 year career, and I, you know, I'm still in contact with them now. Um, they're just, again, they're another partner in exactly. the process. Right. It's not working against each other, it's working together. We need you just like you need us. That's it. It's all under the umbrella. Same same thing. And uh, sure. so anyway, we will have him back. And again, we thank our audience for listening. Again, next week will be a mystery to all of us <laughs> as to who's going to be on. We've got so much stuff going on. Tom and I will be heading to San Diego in a few weeks for a Border Patrol to do some trainings down there. And Looking forward to that. Yes, that sector is one that we are looking forward to working with. And 
So we will have a guest next week. And thank you all for listening. We appreciate what you do, the sacrifices you make, especially the family sacrifices, because that's a population that just isn't recognized or understood. It's a tough, it's a tough lifestyle. And that goes for prosecutors' families as well. Because again, a lot of times the prosecutors are even more publicly visible than the law enforcement are. Right. And so those families, that, that can't be an easy lifestyle either. So uh, take care. God bless all of you. God bless this nation that we live in. And we can help you. Call us at 855-889-2348. My cell. CJ's fixing to cringe. <laughs> she puts her cell number out there. <laughs> 334-324-3570. You can text me, call me. You want to talk to Tom? He will, as of next week, be a certified stress coach by the end of next week. Looking forward. And then I'll be putting his cell number out on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So take care, stay safe, keep doing what you're doing, and we do appreciate you here at Under the Shield. Love you guys. Thanks.